I want to start today with a question, okay? Is anyone in here ever annoyed by Chick-fil-A? Like, okay, let me explain. Put your hands down. Have you ever had a bad day and you go to Chick-fil-A and everything is like, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, sure, my pleasure. And I'm just like, can I have a bad day? And have the Lord's chicken nuggets. I mean, I go to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. I'm having a bad day. And they're so fixated on my pleasure that it makes me feel guilty having a bad day. You understand what I'm saying? Now think about this. For how many of them is it really their pleasure? I've got some complicated friends. Maybe some of you do. We won't name drop any. But sometimes I don't like to go through a drive-thru with them. Because they're so complicated. They'll be like, I want the grilled chicken club sandwich, but on a gluten-free bun and with only one shred of lettuce, please. And can you make sure my cheese is perfectly square? And it takes them 10 minutes to order, and I'm just mortified. I'm like, bro, it's chicken. Like, you can customize it yourself after you get it. Like, just get the standard and fix it yourself. And so for Chick-fil-A employees, they're trained, actually, to say my pleasure. And there's two different kinds of Chick-fil-A employees. You ready? There's one, like a little bitty bop, who's like so happy and hyper, like a magical unicorn. And every time she opens her mouth, sprinkles are just coming out. And I'm like, you know, spicy sandwich, no pickle, add pepper jack cheese, sweet tea, light ice. My pleasure, Miss Tara. Is there anything else for you today? And I'm like, no. Bang head here, right? They're totally not reading my mojo. I'm reading theirs, but guess what? Their pleasure is not in any way influencing my displeasure, okay? And then there's the Chick-fil-A employee. Most of the time it's a dude who, who's like this. I've got a spicy pepper jack cheese, no pickle. I have pepper jack cheese. Is there anything else for you today? No thanks, I'm good. My pleasure. Go ahead and follow the vehicle in front of you, right? It's like, man, I don't think that was your pleasure to take my order, okay? But we're talking about today is obligation versus delight, or obligation versus freedom. How many of you like to be obligated to do something? No one, right? A lot of times we get invites in the mail to a wedding or to a baby shower or to a birthday party and it says what? Please RSVP to this number, right? And most of us, maybe I'm the only one, but I never RSVP because I don't want to be obligated. It all depends on what that day holds and maybe how I'm feeling and, and maybe if I feel like being around people or not, okay? None of us like to feel obligated. And the opposite of obligation is freedom or delight. Or we could go the Chick-fil-A route and say pleasure, right? And, and they're two different things. They're, they're polar opposite things. And I want to talk today about a guy named Saul. Listen, Saul was a bad dude. He was a Greek-speaking Jew. He was educated by one of the top teachers and scholars in that time. And, and he was a rule follower he was legalistic he did all the right things in all of his boxes he could put a check mark and saul thought he was doing the right thing he also persecuted christians okay now if saul were a boy scout back in the day if they had that he would have the whole thing highly decorated right all the badges he would be an eagle scout he'd be a troop leader because he did it all he was very successful he was very smart 
He was, he was um, respected. He was highly celebrated because Saul was like the Mac Daddy, okay? And Saul persecuted Christians, okay? Back in the time, uh, there was a Christianity movement, and they actually called it the way. And so Saul didn't like what these people were doing. He thought they were lying, and they were misrepresenting, and they weren't the real deal. And so Saul, every day, would go out of his way to strike fear in believers across the world. Christians were so afraid of Saul, they wouldn't be caught anywhere within 100 feet of him because Saul was a bad dude. He had it all, he did it all, and he was highly decorated and highly celebrated. And so, one day, Saul has an encounter. An encounter on the road to Damascus. He was actually en route on his way to go persecute maybe throw in prison, maybe kill some Christians for following God. And a bright light from heaven shone and blinded him, and he fell off his horse. And the scripture says that he was struck blind. And there was a voice from heaven, and the Bible says that the guys who were with him heard the voice, but they saw no one. And the voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Get up and go to this city. For three days, this highly successful, fearless, highly respected, highly feared leader of a movement was blind. He could not see with his physical eyes. He also could not see with the eyes of his heart. See, the truth is none of us can outside of Jesus Christ. If you are not a child of God, if you have not been saved, you are spiritually blind. You cannot possibly see what you're doing and what things really are. That's true of all of us. So Paul is blind in every way. And for three days he doesn't eat or drink. And God sends a man of God by the name of Ananias. Now imagine being Ananias, right? Ananias is doing his thing. Maybe he's running through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, getting his Lord's chicken nuggets, right? And God's like, hey, Ananias, go to the city and pray for this man. The boldness. You want me to go pray for the guy who was throwing people like me in jail and killing them? Uh, no, thank you. Plan B, please. You can send that one to Braylon. He'll obey. But I'm good, God. Right? But Ananias goes and he prays. And the Bible says that in that moment, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he was able to see. And for the first time, he recognized that what he had been doing was actually wrong. He thought it was right, but it was wrong. And Saul trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. And Saul, uh, there was quite a transformation that took place. Scales fell from his eyes. His name was changed from Saul to Paul. And he found freedom in surrendering to and serving Christ. Now remember, freedom is the exact opposite of obligation. Obligation says, I have to do this because someone told me I have to. Or because if I don't, X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get an infraction, or my parents are going to yell at me again, or whatever, right? The opposite of obligation is freedom of choice. Obligation says, I have to. Freedom says, I want to, or I get to. So when this happens, Saul's Eyes are opened, his spiritual eyes are opened, his name is changed from Saul to Paul. He finds freedom in surrendering and serving Christ, 
and he is unshackled by the chains of obligation. He abandoned it all to follow Christ. He left it all behind. But some of us can't hardly stand to worship for 10 minutes in here. He abandoned it all. And and most others viewed him now as somewhat less of a man. Oh, what happened to Saul? He gave up all that power. He gave up all that control. He gave up all that power. But Paul found freedom in surrendering to Christ. Okay? He was free and he was joyfully serving Christ. Paul went from being the persecutor to the persecuted. If you read the New Testament, the book of Acts, you you read throughout Paul's life after he chose to surrender to Christ was filled with beatings and hardship and being thrown in jail and being thrown in prison. No one knows exactly for sure what happened at at the end of Paul's life, but scholars believe that he was actually murdered or killed because of his faith and trust in Jesus. How does one man go from killing others who follow Jesus to being killed for following Jesus? A radical encounter with the living God. That's how. When we surrender ourselves to the power of God and his word and his love, we're completely different people. He like rewires our DNA and rewrites our stories. And and it becomes this incredible thing that none of us would have ever chosen. So Paul goes from being a persecutor to being a persecuted. And he goes from obligation to surrendering in joy. One of my favorite scriptures, it's somewhere in the New Testament between Matthew and Revelation. It says this, um, Christ, this is true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul not only acknowledged the goodness of Jesus and and the majesty of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus, but he was quick to recognize his own failures and sin. Why do we try to downplay that, right? I mean, if we're truly free because we've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus, then we ought to be able to be honest and say, yeah, I was a hot mess, man. I was a wreck. See, there's no shame or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But see, we're hesitant to be real about who we were before Christ rescued us because we haven't fully surrendered. We're we're still bound. Paul did a complete 180. So what's the point for us? Here's my question for us. How are you running your race? How are you running your race? And by your race, I mean your walk with Jesus, your relationship with Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12 It says this, this is verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, our life, our journey here on earth, our journey with Jesus is compared to a race. And I love the simplicity of the Bible. It's easy, right? We've all been in a race. Maybe when you're a little kid, we got some track stars working hard and preparing for state coming up, right? How are you running your race? Are you running it out of delight and desire and want to? Or are you running it out of obligation? 
how are you running your race? Okay, now I'm about to uh, go gadget T-Rex arms. I might regret this in a minute. Uh, there are just some things you can't practice at home, okay? Uh, no, that's not going to work. Okay, I'm about to challenge uh, Leslie Solace to a race. She and I, yep, let me get ready for my race here. Um, yeah, we'll just go there for today. Now, how many of you, you guys know me? Answer carefully, especially those of you I have in class. How many of you, if I say, okay, Leslie Solace, I'm going to race you from this end of the parking lot to the other end of the parking lot, how many of you think Leslie is going to win? Raise your hand. I stand up. I see that pile. I see you. All right, now let me ask the other question. How many of you think I would win? For those of you. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now listen, for those of you who raised your hand thinking that I would win, the Lord does say he gives wisdom generously, so you should ask for it. I don't stand a chance against Leslie Solace, okay? But I especially... Don't stand a chance, I especially don't stand a chance running a race all tied up. Hebrews 12 says your life on earth, your life, your journey with Jesus is like a race. And it says to throw off what? The, the who? Who's your guys' Bible teacher? Come on, what are we supposed to throw off? The weights and the sin that so easily entangles. And you know what our ropes represent? They represent our past sin that we've asked God to forgive us from. But, and we've received God's forgiveness, but we haven't forgiven ourselves. So we walk around bound all the time that I'm a jerk and God couldn't love me because I did this or I did that. That's a rope. That's a weight. That's a thing that easily entangles you. Our ropes are disappointments. Listen, life is full of disappointments. And I hate to break it to you, but when you become an adult, it's even more so. Bad things happen. Doctors give bad reports. People we love die. We lose our pets. Best friends will stab us in the back and turn and walk away and spend all their time talking about us. Our ropes and our weights and the things that so easily entangle are our little pet sins that we can't let go of. And we just pet it like a cute little baby rabbit. Because we're like, oh man, this sin is so fun. And this sin comforts me. And this sin helps me. And this sin helps me take my mind off of the broken pieces of my story that I don't understand in the context of a good God who was for me. But what you don't realize is that pet rabbit sin that you're petting is actually a snake, a poisonous snake that's ready to launch and to infect venom and poison into the very veins that Christ paid for. Your sin is a trap. Your sin is a disappointment. Your sin is illusion. I don't care how much you like it. I don't care how much you love it. I don't care how long you've been doing it. Only true satisfaction and peace and love and joy is found in Jesus Christ alone. Trust me, I've done it all. I, I literally have about done it all, and I can tell you it's a dead end. And it's a trap, and it's a weight that easily entangles. And it's like ropes tied around my legs. And Paul in Hebrews says, throw off everything that hinders you from running well for Jesus. 
But all I'm doing is spending all my time wrapping myself up. Because it's easier for me to believe that I'm a failure and God could never love me than to actually believe that I could be an overcomer and what God says in his word about me is actually true for me, that God does love me as I am. We spend all of our time tucking our ropes in and, and, and wrapping it around and, and it's heavy and you can't run. There's a reason runners wear the clothes that they do and, and running shoes. I know this is crazy. You're getting running advice from Big Bear. But listen, running shoes are lightweight because you don't want anything to weigh you down. You don't want anything to weigh you down. So why is it in our spiritual walks we're so quick to just pack our pockets full of rocks and backpacks full of burdens? How is it God can forgive you but you can't forgive you? Are you more powerful than God? Do you know more than God? Are you smarter than God? If God said, I forgave you, that means he forgave you. So drop it. You can't run your race all bound up and tangled up and weighed down by the sin and the distractions and the hurt and the disappointments and the unanswered prayers and the broken dreams and the drama. Bunch of drama llamas. Some of y'all are so addicted to drama, you don't know what it's like to live in peace. So you just constantly poke, 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 stir the pot, stir the pot, stir the pot. And some of the meanest people I know go to this school. And it has nothing to do with this school, and it has everything to do with your ugly heart. Man, I came to preach today. I don't, I don't have time to sugarcoat. How are you running your race? Are you running it out of obligation or out of desire? Can I be honest? You're like, yeah, it's a little late for that to... Uh, <laughs> tough crowd, it's getting warmer in here. <laughs> Listen. Watching worship just about breaks my heart every week in here. I, I, I just can hardly stomach it. And, and, and just watching, just observing, everyone has their own style. But like, if I didn't know you guys and, and I walked in here and I watched the 10 minutes of worship that we do before a, a lesson, I would think that you have no idea who God is. How wonderful he's been. How faithful he's been. How many times over and over he saved me from the wretchedness of my own pride and sin. Because you know what a lot of us in here are afraid about? what our classmates are going to say about us if we really worship the way we want to. And you know what that is? That's called fear of man. The Bible says, don't fear man who can take your body. Fear me, the God who can take your body and your soul. At what point do we move from obligation to freedom? At what point do we stop caring about what others are going to think about us and we worry a whole lot more about what God thinks about us? See, it's the difference between obligation and freedom. So here's things. Five ways to run well. Everyone say five ways. Number one, run because you want to. Well, you don't have to keep repeating me. That's weird. 
That threw me off. I didn't have an echo written in my notes, all right? Listen, run because you want to, not because you have to. God, I'm thrilled that you chose me to be yours. What an honor to be your kid, to be your friend, to be your ambassador, to be your representative. I don't have to follow Jesus. And you know what? You don't either. You have the freedom to choose. If you choose not to, I I sincerely pray that God has mercy on your soul before it's too late. I lose sleep at night worried about each of you and where you stand with Christ. I do. But run because you want to, not because you have to. And when you run because you want to and you don't have to, it changes everything. Prayer goes from, oh no, Miss Davis asked me to pray in front of the class. Oh no, my knees are shaking, my palms are sweating. It goes from that obligation to, man, I can't believe that the God of the universe wants to hear what I have to say. I can't wait to tell him about this drama. It's driving me crazy, right? Because see, when you talk to everyone else about it, but God, you're just perpetuating the problem. You're just stirring pot, right? So obligation says, oh, I have to pray because I go to Cornerstone Christian School and the adults make us pray. Uh, That's obligation, right? Freedom or Chick-fil-A pleasure is, man, I can't believe I get to talk to God. And there's no magic formula. There's no special words I have to say. I don't even have to close my eyes and fold my hands that the one true God of the universe would want to listen for what I have to say, man, that's an honor. That's an honor. So running your race because you want to and not have to, Bible reading. It's no longer I have to read my Bible because that's what my boring teachers at the school say and they won't be quiet about it. To man, I can't believe I have a Bible. And not just I have a Bible, but I have 10 different Bibles, and I actually can't wait to see what God has to say about this drama I'm stuck in and I can't get out of. I can't wait to see what God, the one true God of the universe, has to say to me today through the reading and studying of his word. See, obligation ties you down and it weighs you down, but freedom of choice and desire and want to is life. Giving. When we run our race because we want to and not because we have to, it changes worship. I love singing to God. I don't care that my voice cracks. I don't care that I can't hold a note longer than three seconds. I I could give a rip if one of you left chapel today. Did you hear Miss Davis and how loud she was? Well, I'm not here to worship you, sunshine. I'm here to worship the one true God because only he is worthy. And a lot of you, you're saved, but you view and treat worship as obligation. Time to stand up and do Christian karaoke. How awkward. Oh, come to the altar. And that's what you look like. That's what you sound like. Versus want to is like, Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Do you hear the difference in sound? One rings of freedom. One rings of nothing. 
hurts your ears. So point number one, run because you want to, not because you have to. Point number two, run unhindered. Hebrews 12, drop the weights, let go of the sin and the things that so easily entangle you. Some of you need to get the daggum ropes off your legs and off your hearts and off your hands and run. Just run. Let go of it. This school provides an amazing service, counseling every week. There's someone here, free of charge, for you to talk to. I used to judge people who went to counseling. You know what? I'm five weeks into counseling myself. It's the best thing I've ever done outside of giving my life to Jesus. There's no stigma or shame in it. You want to talk to someone? We'll get you connected. Let go of the things that weigh you down. Point number three, keep the finish line always in view. Guys, we're just passing through. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And Jesus himself stands at the finish line saying, come on, Sarah, one more day. You got it. Come on, one more lap. Don't you give up. You keep that in view, it changes everything. It diminishes everything. Number four, have something of value to pass on. Relay race. You ready for the tips of how to succeed every time? I couldn't tell you, but listen. You. Oh, I got more than a courtesy laugh. Wait till I tell Tucker. My game's improving. Listen. You have one life to live, and each of you has purpose in God's eyes. And I want to have something of value to pass on. You know what my goal is? I want each of you in this room to love Jesus and love his word more than I do. Who's going to be the next Coach G? Who's going to be the next Coach Skelton? Listen, I'm not limiting you. I'm not saying that that's all you have to live for. But when are you going to step up and rise up and be who God has created you to be? What are you going to pass on to your children and to your children's children? Have something of value to pass on. See, it matters how I run my race because all of you are watching, right? And I owe you something. I owe you something bigger than myself. And that's to honorably love the Lord and walk humbly before him and before you. What is it you're passing on? Some of you are just passing on broken cycles of generational sin and curses. Not me. The abuse in my family stopped right here. When I'm angry, I don't punch a thing. Not even my punching bag. Because I'm a cycle breaker. I'm not going to perpetuate that. I'm not going to carry that on. It stops with me. It can stop with you too. What are you passing on? What is in your hands that you're going to pass on to the next generation? It starts now. It doesn't start when you're an adult. My journey with Jesus began at eight years old. For 32 years, I have walked with God. Not perfectly. Let me rephrase that. For 32 years, God has walked with Tara, even when I chose to stop walking. What are you passing on in the last point? And we'll finish. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. I told you guys my story. This is very familiar to all of you. I'm not going to go into detail today, but um, in my senior year of high school, I started working when I was 15. 
And my sister and I were the youngest of seven. So by the time we got to high school, my parents were kind of over all the extracurricular activity thing, you know. So our senior year, my sister and I were like, we should do track. You know, it's our senior year. And we're like, yeah. And I said, well, I'm throwing. I am not signing up to run. I want to eat ding-dongs and just throw heavy things and grunt while I do it. And my sister has always been a long-distance runner. She's like the size of my left leg. She's done cross-country, and she signed up for the two-mile. Well, I was terrible at throwing that first. 65 foot line with the discus i made it to that line one time <laughs> i don't know how i did it obviously because i never made it again but i just wasn't good i just had a whole lot of heart and that was about it and so i discovered that three people never ran the two mile and the rusty wheels up top started spinning so i told my joke half joking i told my coach half joking one day I said, hey, I want to run the two miles sometime. She's like, oh, yeah, okay, Davis. <laughs> so one day I'm eating and, you know, killing my Twinkies and my Mountain Dew. She comes up to me, yo, Davis, you're running the two mile. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah. I was like, no, I can't. I haven't ran at all. Because as throwers, we were supposed to lift weights, then run out to the field. Well, we never ran unless we knew coach was running, right? That's how we signed up to throw. Don't do that, okay? Uh, and, and so we line up that day and... Our track uniforms are like the material of my shirt, so there's a little bit of flex, but not enough flex unless you got the right size right. So I basically look like a baby walrus in a snack size Ziploc, all the world to see. And the guy has a gun and I'm like praying earnestly, dear baby Jesus, please let him misfire and take me out with that gun. Spare all of us, spare me, spare the crowd, right? So he goes and we start running and mine's more like an awkward shuffle shuffle. And every time my twin sister laps me, I mean, it's taken me so long. I'm literally going, lap one, lap one, lap one, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength. Lap one, lap one. Except it wasn't that um, clean. It was more like, Philippians <laughs> 4.13. And so my twin sister, every, and everything is like aching. Like fat rolls are aching. And I'm like, you're not supposed to ache, okay? And so every time my twin sister passes me, you know what she says? She says, sis, you're doing a really good job. I'm so proud of you. Keep it up. Not the least bit winded. She finishes running her race way ahead of me. The sun is setting. My track coach is sitting on a bench reading the newspaper. <laughs> Everything in my body is screaming. But you know what? My mind is too. Because I'm embarrassed. And I'm humiliated. And I'm thinking, oh man, what do all those people watching think about me? Because nobody knew. Just six months before that, I had dislocated both hips and had three, three hip surgeries in two years. I couldn't walk for two years. It's easy to judge a book by its cover. You don't know the story. Be careful. And in that moment of despair, in that moment of shame, in that moment of embarrassment and humiliation, which honestly, I just wanted to quit, but like the finish line to quit was way on the other side, so I was like, well, I might as well keep going. My twin sister, who just ran two miles, started running back and forth across the football field to meet me on every side. She said, sis, I'm so proud of you. You're almost done. Keep going. You've got it. Don't give up. Enjoy the journey. See, it wasn't about the people who were going to judge me or shame me. It was about my sister, my best friend, who believed enough in me 
that she would keep running after she finished the two mile to cheer me on. You're going to have haters in this world. People are going to make fun of you. People are going to leave you out. People are going to judge you. People are going to shame you. But Hebrews 12, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and run. That means all of heaven is chanting your name and cheering you on and saying, you've got this. And it changes everything. Because now I'm, no, I, I'm, I'm not obligated to read the Bible or to worship or to pray. I want to. And when my want to is a little rusty and a little broken, is it working? Guess what? I say pray. I, I pray. I say, God, would you help my want to? I'm struggling. Netflix sounds better today than your word. God, help me. Help my want to. It's a desire. We're going to close with a quick video clip, and then we'll, we'll pray and be done. Go ahead, coach. Don't, don't miss this. Just watch and listen. Read the words on the screen if you can. It's not very long.
it's a fascinating story if you haven't seen the movie. Um, it, it's really something. But in closing, Secretariat won the Triple Crown, which in the horse racing world is like unheard of. Very rare. Secretariat wasn't the biggest horse. As a matter of fact, uh, as you discover the story, Secretariat and his owners faced incredible adversity. The owner of Secretariat actually acquired him because her father had passed away. Her brother wanted to sell the horse farm and she wanted to keep it. Secretariat wasn't the biggest horse. He faced adversity. But after his death, they discovered something fascinating. The average heart of a thoroughbred horse is eight and a half pounds. Secretariat's heart was 22 pounds. You can do a lot with a lot of heart. As I wrestled with this and thought about it, I thought, man, I wonder how things would look different if Jesus had lived half-heartedly instead of wholeheartedly. Nope, Tara, loved you yesterday, not today. You're not good enough. Nope, Tara, I can forgive Marshall, but not you. Nope, Tara, too busy today. Don't come to me with your petty little problems. We change everything. Is it so much that the God who gave us everything, his entire heart, his entire kingdom, his entire son, would ask us to put our heart into what we do for him? We've got to shift from obligation to freedom. It's my pleasure. God, it is my pleasure to tell others about you. God, it is my pleasure to worship you. God, it is my pleasure to talk to you. God, it is my pleasure, it is my honor to read from your word and to study it and to hide it in my heart that I might not sin against you. If a horse with a 22-pound heart can make history like that, I'm wondering what God could do with you and I if we were all it. God, thank you for today. God, help us to get, get unstuck from I have to or I'm supposed to to I want to. God, I'm asking boldly that you would raise up out of this room, God, a generation of young people who would worship you in spirit and in truth, God. I'm asking that you would raise up young people who would stand boldly, unashamedly, declaring their love and loyalty to you, Jesus. Give us a desire to want to read your word, God. Give us a desire to want to spend time in prayer, God. Give us a desire to want to worship you, God. God, help us to put our hearts into it. God, may you use us to run our race well. God, for any student in this room who does not have a personal relationship with you, Jesus, I pray, God, that you would have mercy on their sin-sick soul, God. That today would be the day of salvation for them, God. That they would cry out to you and believe that you are the risen Son of God who came and died a death on a cross that we never could. God, thank you for your love for us. God, thank you that you put 100% of your heart into being for us and not against us and loving us and pursuing us and praying for us and encouraging us and shepherding us and guiding us. God, it's too much. I don't understand why you do that, but I'm thankful. God, help us to respond and turn with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.